Well, hi, everybody. I want to welcome you again to Asbury Seminary's Online Chapel Services. Um, I'm delighted today to be joined by some dear friends for a conversation around singing. We've been calling this, How Can I Keep From Singing?, which is, of course, the name of a wonderful hymn. But it's also a topic that is very discussed right now in the church in terms of how we respond to the coronavirus, the restrictions, returning to in-person worship, and how we approach singing and worship. So first I wanna let um, those who have gathered by Zoom today to introduce themselves to you. And I'll start with um, my friend, Susan Kent. Susan, why don't you introduce yourself and tell us where you're serving. You bet. Well, first of all, thank you so much for the invitation to join into the conversation. I am very excited about that. Yes, I am Susan Kent. I am a pastor at the Woodlands United Methodist Church in the Woodlands. It's just outside Houston. Um, and um, one of my biggest roles is pastor of worship. And so that's kind of what I'm bringing to the table today. Great. Um, Matt, why don't you introduce yourself for us? My name is Matt Sigler. I'm professor of Wesleyan Studies at Seattle Pacific University and Seminary, and my field of study is the history of Christian worship, particularly within the Methodist Wesleyan vein. Great. Perfect. Mark Swayze, how about you? Yeah, good to be here. This is awesome. Mark Swayze, I'm also at the Woodlands UMC with Susan as a pastor there. Um, I've spent about 20 years leading worship and just recently uh, kind of went over to student ministry. So now I get to uh, be a part of student ministry day in, day out, but still have such a huge heart for worship and particular music and singing. So excited to be a part of the conversation. Great. And last but not least, Jonathan. Yes, I'm Jonathan Powers, and I'm the assistant professor of worship studies at Asbury Theological Seminary. I work with Jessica here at the seminary. Um, do a lot with the chapel office and um, helping uh, plan chapels and, and uh, participate in the chapel team and, and things. So I'm very excited to be part of this and to be with uh, such great people and dear friends as part of this conversation. Great. Well, thank you for joining today. Um, I know this is, I would enjoy having this conversation totally offline. So we're just going to pretend that we're all able to sit around on somebody's couch today, even though we're on different chairs and couches. But I wanted to start just really big picture and say um, this thing called music, you know, this is so important to us as a human family, um, even outside just the Christian tradition. What do you think it is that has so captivated us? Why is music so important uh, to us? And anyone is welcome to start and we'll just kind of ping back and forth. Why is music so important? I'll just, I'll go ahead and jump in. Um, <clears throat> music has this incredible way of marrying both word and emotion. Um, it also has this, I mean, whether you're hearing little babies start to hum as a, as very little to nursery rhymes to as it comes, becomes more and complex as we grow up, music carries with it this ability to marry our words with what's on the inside of us. So it's this beautiful marriage of emotion and word. And, and also I think, I think music's important for humanity because it's always been something that's united a group of people. Um, Dietrich Bonhoeffer in life together says we speak and pray the same word at the same time when we sing together. So music has this ability for us to say the same word at the same time and it unites people. Um, so music has always brought both of those things, um, the ability to share emotion that words can't quite, 
and the ability to unite humans around the same words at the same time being spoken. And that uni unity, I think, is what's so valuable about music. Yeah, I, I will actually echo that. Um, my first thought was just the uh, emotive aspect of music. And I'm speaking as one who um, probably of this whole panel, I'm the one who cannot sing. I mean, no one would say, Susan, could you please sing this? for us. No one, no one would say that. So, but that does not mean that music isn't so important to me because um, music is this way of being able to express in that poetic way. You just think like the Psalms, just to express sort of that groaning of the spirit within that I cannot and perhaps could not articulate or it just comes out differently. And so Music for me is just this way of expressing my heart um, and, and that feeling. And then when you, when you capture it with then others singing, like Mark was saying, that unity of spirit is just powerful. So from the non-music person, I can just say it is important for me, you know, just mm -hmm. to express for worship. There's two things that come to mind, um, like what has been said. Um, Don Salyer says in his book, Music and Theology, there's certain things that we don't believe until we sing them. Mm -hmm. um, and, uh, you know, it, there, there's something that um, participating in it, there's a participatory element of music um, that, um, that, that we're um, participating in the words and the emotions and um, uh, thinking through them a little differently and expressing them differently than normal. Also, um, it, it's, it's a fully embodied act. You know, it uses, as Mark was saying, it uses our, our emotions, our heart, it uses our minds, our intellect, it uses our bodies. We have to speak, we have to sing, we have to um, utilize our bodies. So our whole body comes together. And so it's, a, it's an act of our whole being um, at once um, in expression. Um, and, uh, and, and we're able to do that together. There's a unifying factor to it, as, as Mark was saying as well. So those things, I think, um, help. Um, um, help us understand like what is it that's happening here that's so and it's just a gift from God too you know there's something about it that I say there's a mystery to it and we have to be okay with that and saying there's part of it we can't understand it's, it's simply a gift from God and we praise him for it this is all great and I, I would add one other thing that's connected to this that music forms us right because of all these things music has the power to form us for good or for bad um, got a nine-year-old and for those of you who've seen Lego Movie 2 Remember the this song's gonna get stuck inside your head. I won't sing it right now because everybody'll be mad at me. But songs stick with us, right? Uh, there's a reason why if you've ever had a loved one that's in the latter stages of Alzheimer's, they may not remember who you are, but they can sing with you. And um, I think this goes back to very ancient understanding of of the music shaping our affections, not just our emotions, but the unity of our will and our emotions together. Um, so songs stick with us and they shape us, and that has powerful potential. Yeah. As you were saying that, Matt, I was thinking about not just how they form us as individuals, but they shape culture. You know, there's this sense, anytime you talk about pop culture um, or ancient culture, or there's always this element of music, like how, how have people expressed themselves in music for such a time as this? And that has changed over the years, but you can almost locate a certain time 
by thinking about what music was popular or um, so it's, it's something that doesn't just move us individually, but it connects us culturally with people around us if we sing or know the same songs. And thinking about that too, um, not just music on a broad level, but what about worship? Um, you know, we as Christians, this has been a practice in worship for as long as we've had worship. So what, what is the role of music in worship? We going in order here? Yeah, no. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Clearly not. Um, I mean, I, I'll jump in. I mean, worship played a role, has played a role throughout the Old Testament and the New Testament. I mean, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 14, 26, he says, all right, when you gather, bring a hymn. Love it. So bring a song. Someone bring a word of instruction. Someone bring a revelation. Someone bring a tongue. Someone bring a ter- interpretation. And the question is why? And he would say, for the building up of the church. So singing is, as Matt said, is formational, as we've said, is unifying, but also, hey, sing a song when you gather. Why? Because it builds up the church. In, the, in that unity, um, in worship, um, the goal is to allow that hymn to be a part of building up other people, encouraging the community. And I think there's something pretty, pretty valuable about that. I also think, I'd love to hear Matt and Jonathan and Susan's take on this, but Singing also, singing also is a, a way that if it's so, if it's something that is stuck in the memory, as Matt said, then singing carries with it an enormous amount of ability to share our theology. So what we sing, though we may not leave the gathering, remember all the three points the sermon was given, we will leave singing the chorus of a song. So what's the theology that's been placed in our music and how, and how valuable we need to see singing as, and as music as, as a way to carry theology outside of the room because of it's in the memory of the people. Yeah, actually, that's so funny because what I was thinking, too, is how important music is in telling the story. And that's what we do a lot. Um, and what we should do as a church is to tell the story. And so as we as we pen these, these songs that then are told and over like that oral tradition of just telling the story and then you, you pass it on and and you do, you remember it more. And so you pass these stories on and you tell the stories of, of, of God and God's goodness and what he's done. You tell the story of how, you know, he's interacted with his people and, and then their response to it. And we learn from all of that. So it's, in music and in worshiping through music is this beautiful way of telling a story in a way that we can, we take it in and it's, it is emotive, but then we remember it and we can tell it again. I love that, Susan. I think, I mean, that's one of the things JD Walt challenges regularly is that like, if we just had the music and people left, would they know the basic plot of God's, the story of God's mighty acts? Um, and, I would add one other thing that I've frankly been very challenged by is I was a music minister for 15 years in the church. And one of the things I've been really challenged by is by looking outside of the Protestant tradition and thinking about historically music's role of serving the order of service, right? That, that, um, you know, in the Orthodox tradition, music undergirds everything from the coming in to the going out. And I love the song set. Uh, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a product of the song set. But I think one of the things that we've missed in having like this segment of music is we have 
missed the ability for music to serve something bigger than itself, the order of service. We intuit this. I mean, think about how weird it would be if at the very beginning of a Billy Graham crusade, we started out by singing just as I am, right? I mean, you sing that at the very, you did sing that at the very end. And, um, and I think Protestants, I think we could really be stretched in the way we think about music and worship if we thought, okay, we gather, we receive the word, we respond to the word, we're sent, and within that there's all these other things that happen. What if we thought about music telling the story and then serving the order of service and then maybe thinking about, well, how can music help us enter the scripture? When I was on staff at churches, a lot of times I started with the last point. And um, I think we've got so many more possibilities if we think about it serving the order of service. And we think about that all the time, I think, as worship planners and everybody in this room has has done quite a bit of that is, um, you know, is this song a song that gathers us, that begins? Is this a sending song? Is this a, a commitment song? And then we we often talk about like where we're missing pieces, like, oh, we need more songs of commitment, right? Um, you know, we we begin to think about like not not music, not just in terms of style or the um, the era it was written in, but what function does it serve in our life of worship? So it really shapes that as well. Um, and and so that makes me wonder, is music necessary? Could you worship if there was not any music? Is it possible? Have Have you experienced that or have you thought about that? Just even in light of where we are right now with the um, COVID-19 pandemic, um, what if you had to worship with no music? Is it, are they inseparable or is it, um, is it expendable in some way? I'll jump in real quick here. Sorry, I dug out for just a second there, but, um, I, uh, so, um, Matt and I, and, and Susan, Jessica, I think you all might've worked with, uh, Lester Ruth some mm -hmm. as well. Uh, Matt and I is a dear friend and mentor of ours and a lot of our own liturgical studies. It talks about music, um, and an image I've heard him use before is when he talks about music and worship. He says it's it's like a pair of eyeglasses, you know, that they're they're to be used with music. We're able to see through um, these glasses where we can see God, you know, through these cultural things, these uh, contextualized um, ways that we can see God. It's a great tool for us to use. Um, but we have to be careful. We don't take glasses off and set them on a shelf and look at them and say, look at how amazing these glasses are and just love the glasses for themselves. The glasses are something to be employed, to be used. I think of Augustine in that sense and his, his idea of things that are be, God is the thing to be enjoyed. God is what we delight in. Other things we might use to delight in God. Um, but we get our, our love gets disordered when we lower our gaze from God and focus on the lesser things. Still good, still good things, lesser goods, but not the supreme good. Um, and I think sometimes with music, you know, I, I was in a conversation with a student recently where they said, how can we worship with, you know, with, with COVID and all this? We're not going to be able to sing when we gather back in our churches. How in the world can we worship without doing that? Um, and I said, well, we have to be careful that we don't make an idol out of music, that we're so focused on the music that, you know, that that's what we're focused on and not looking through that to see God and using that as a way to see God. And so there's many things that we can use to draw nearer to God that we might delight in God. And sometimes it's actually a good thing if we, if certain things that we're used to having are taken away from us for a time that help us say, how are we focused more on God in this time? You know, what are we delighting in? What are we truly delighting in? So I think not only is music possible, or sorry, is worship possible without music, sometimes I think we might actually need to step back from music for a time and say, 
it, do I rely on music too much? Is my delight found in the musical experience or is it in God? And, and sometimes when we take that step back and say, well, no, we're actually not going to worship through music right now. And it might pro provide us an opportunity to say, how can I draw nearer to God? Is it God that I'm truly delighting in? Or is it, am I taking the music off and, and kind of looking at it and saying, that's what I'm delighting in. So yeah, just thought there. That makes me think of the, the story behind the, is it the song Heart of Worship that starts when the music fades and all is stripped away? You know, I'm thinking about that, that story that got told so often when we sang that song frequent, more frequently um, about, you know, a time when music had become an idol in a setting and they just stripped it all away and said, how do we, how do we refocus the purpose of our worship? So that's a good point, Jonathan, that it can become our focus. And what, what do the rest of you think? Could you worship without music? Well, um, you know, I love what you just said, Jonathan, because I remember, you know, when all of the articles started coming out about you can't sing and the choirs and, and, you know, then all the science behind it and everything. And I remember just wrestling thinking, okay, well, what, what does that really look like? I'm a practical person, right? In planning. So what, what does that really look like? But I love what you said because I do believe that music will come out naturally as an, as just an expression of worshiping God. But if we say that we have to have music in order to worship God, then it's not really an expression. It is like you said, it's the idol that goes out in front. But if we focus in on worship, then, then what comes out of that, even if it's humming, I mean, in my mind, I thought, what about the people who were in, concentration camps what about the people who are you know like all of these extreme experiences where they couldn't gather there was no gathering in a church there was no service there's no leader and yet you read a lot of stories and sometimes it's just sharing a word a scripture sometimes but but I have to believe that there was also some humming, you know, something that came out out of that expression just out of that love of God but it's it's what comes first. Is it how will we come before God and worship him and what comes out of that? Or, or what do we have to put the clothes on first? And, you know, so I love that perspective that you just brought out. So thank you for that. One other thing I would, I, I fully agree. I mean, if we, if we have to have music to worship, we're in trouble. And frankly, my own personal devotional life, I've felt like at times the Lord has almost said, Matt, I, you don't need a soundtrack to play, pray to me. Right. <laughs> like, um, but I would also add, it might be helpful for us to know we're talking about music making and particularly singing. But one of the other things I'm stretched by outside of my own Protestant tradition is the idea of non-texted music making, which I think we might be able to come back to. And this is where the idea of music serving the order of service also helps us. And we do this. We have special music. We have an offertory. But what if we thought about um, how can the role of a, a cello as a, as a call to worship help us lament, right? Um, and so I, I think as we're thinking practically about this, it also might help us. Yes, there's something powerful about music making and singing together for all the reasons we've mentioned, but there's also something really powerful about thinking about non-texted music as something that serves the ordo or the order of service. You know, there's an interesting passage in Ephesians and I've always read it as one way. And just this week I read it differently, 
Ephesians chapter 5, verse 19 says, sing and make music with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. So you go, well, there's, there's Paul saying, go ahead and sing. But then he writes these next words, which I've never thought about. He says, singing and making melody to the Lord in your heart. Mm-hmm. So let singing be the melody and song of your heart, not your lips. He didn't say your lips. He said your cardia in Greek, your heart. Sing and make melody with your heart. And so there's a way you can sing and there's no audible sound. And in fact, that's what he says to do. Great, sing psalms, sing hymns, sing spiritual songs, but do it with your heart, not your lips. If your lips do it, great. Let that be the overflow of your heart, but let it start in the heart and so can we worship, is God's invitation to possibly worship without audible sounds? I love the idea that you just brought up, Matt, about, I mean, I kind of lean into, there's this, there's this a kind of enigmatic, mysterious musical direction in the Psalms, which is Selah. And we've heard all these different understandings of Selah. It's, it's over 71, or 71 times in the Psalms, it says Selah. And a lot of people said, we don't know what it is exactly. We know it's a musical direction, but it could mean to pause. It could mean instrumental music. It could mean silence. And I'm wondering as a church, are we invited into a season of Selah, a a season to pause and ponder, a season to replace praise music with prayer, creeds, doxologies, scripture, silence, meditation? Are we invited for a season of Selah? a season to stop singing the words and to ponder where we're at in history, where we're at as a church, where we're at in regards to our entertainment-driven worship industry of we come in and watch you worship instead of we as the church come in and we are. Our lives are the spiritual act of worship. And we need to maybe use the season of Selah of pausing from just singing these songs over and over again, but use this season of Selah as a time to return to God. What is it you want? A, you want our hearts to sing to you. And then two, you actually, the worship you're after is actually our, our hearts and our lives. And I'm just wondering if though we never understand what Selah is, maybe this is a moment we lean into that one word in the Psalms and go, maybe this is time for the church to pause and ponder. That'll preach. That's really good. I think I think too about there are times when our worship is ideal, what we would what we would want, what we would ideally plan, and there's times when it feels like it's contextual, right? I mean, we can worship anywhere. We can worship. I know some of you have had the experience of being on the mission field and worshiping under a tree with a congregation that is just as are more engaged in worship than folks in a comfortable pew and a building. Um, I think about, I had a chance to, I, I mean, I think experiences with other cultures help us understand this so much that, um, that worship is contextual. and Often what we understand is our own context when we say the word worship, but meeting a group of Iranian Christians on a, on a mission trip with the Woodlands United Methodist church and, and, finding out that they were so um, under uh, so much scrutiny from their government, so much um, secrecy for being Christians or risking their own lives that they would whisper their worship songs. You know, they, they would bake a cake in the shape of a cross and worship in whispers, and then they would eat the evidence. 
<laughs> so that there was no cross there left at the end. And boy, when we got them out of that context, when they were able to come to another situation, they sang at the top of their lungs, but both of those things were equal worship. So, I mean, think about that. If just whatever context you're in, your heart can go to that place that you're talking about, Mark. Um, so let me ask the practical question. Like, what do we do in churches right now? What, how do we, how should we engage? You know, and we'll be all over the map. Every state has different regulations. Every place has, we're, we're all at different places of this, but what do you do if there are restrictions on your singing? What is, what does worship look like right now with this kind of um, unknown with the virus? Well, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know all that the answers for sure. I know that we're looking into it. I think it is interesting, you know, we have this ability right now to sit around and just have this conversation, you know, with five people who have had an opportunity to dive in and study scripture and study original language and all that. <clears throat> and you know, we can we can come to an understanding of yeah, okay, maybe what what is music? How does it play out in the whole of, of worship? But when we look at leading a church, we're not looking at people who have had that also that background. So as a leader, we have to meet people where they are with the preconceived ideas that they have, what music just means to them as they're walking maybe back into the church, maybe into a parking lot, maybe, you know, wherever it is that as we begin to regather or even in their own homes. So it's hard to tell someone, you know, you don't have to sing and then give them, you know, try and, and teach them all these things that we just talked about. So in a practical sense, I think we have to be very gentle understanding what music means to people, what they're coming to the table with, um, but then giving them an opportunity, um, whether it is, I love the idea of the cello, like with the lament, because one, I just love that instrument, but um, to be able to introduce that and say, you know, at this time, and we may not be able to sing, but we are going to let the notes that come out of this instrument be our hearts, be our, you know, our song today. And just, you can sit there, you can weep, you can let your heart, you know, soar, but let's just sit and listen and just have to almost like teach in tiny bits as we introduce maybe different ways to worship. So I don't, I don't know the answers but I know that it's something that I think we're going to, we need to come gently mm -hmm. to people and, and help people experience music and worship differently. I really appreciate that word. And I think, you know, one of the opportunities we've talked about this on other, other conversations, some of us have had, we've, we've really failed the church. I'm speaking generally now and, in discipling people pers on a personal level for participation in worship in, in many respects. And, and I, and I think combining that kind of pastoral sensitivity, meeting people where they are with an opportunity to, to subtly teach is really important. I also think, I mean, I, y'all we're recording this video. I mean, 
in the midst of riots, um, I would, I've been reading Psalm 137. I've been thinking about what we will bring into the church. On the one hand, there's going to be this deep love for each, seeing each other in person again. Maybe we need to hang up our harps and weep a little bit, right? Maybe we need to weep for George Floyd and Ahmaud Arbery and Breonna Taylor. And, and maybe silence is part of that way that we meet people where they are. Um, maybe part of our countercultural witness is pushing gently, but against the impulse to immediately pick up and sing again by acknowledging the pain and grief we bring, even when we can gather again. Um, so I'm really struck by Psalm 137, as well as what you said, Mark. I mean, I think this is a good moment to remind ourselves that, that God, God wants our life as worship, right? We all know that, but it's a good reminder. And that just, there's something that stirs so deeply, Matt, when you talk about that. I mean, you think of, I hope I'm getting this right, Amos, the eighth century prophet who was, the sort of the voice for the voiceless. He was the voice for the oppressed. He didn't let Israel get easy a pass. He was just like driving them. And there's this one point in chapter five, verse 23, where he says, take away from me the noise of your songs. Mm -hmm. And he says, but let justice roll down like waters and righteousness lie in ever flowing stream. So it's this idea of, hey, instead of your ritual and your performance of your songs, stop it commit to two things, a relentless commitment to the rights of the oppressed and a growing intensity for your holiness. Is that where we're at in the church? Like, is that our call to stop the sound of your songs? And as Matt said, to go, maybe this is a time where we need justice to roll down like waters, where we need to take an internal observation of, is our righteousness an ever-flowing stream? And I think it's so powerful, like, this isn't just COVID-19, this is our country in chaos. And there's a scripture that says, when it's like that, church, go for justice and stop singing. Wow, what a crossroads we're at to have this conversation with that verse just going, it's like flashing alongside your psalm. There's something there, man, that's so powerful. So good. What yeah. else? Any other practical steps we can we can offer people at this time? Yeah, I think all of that was um, is, is so pertinent. Thank you, Mark and, and Matt for um, for that. And and I think um, you know I think I think so many times there's uh, we we can get caught up in um, in what we think we deserve. You know, um, we deserve to have music. We deserve to feel good. We deserve whatever. You know, and I think sometimes that's the uh, you know if we want to put it in terms of privilege or whatever that we, we, we just get lost in our comforts, you know, our luxury um, that we can get lost in and, and we miss out on some of these things. And certain things thrust us into disorientation and discomfort. And we want to escape from that, you know, easily, but, um, and music might be an escape. And so this might be a time just like Mark was, I mean, you know, it's such a good word. Um, Switching gears just a little bit. I, I mean, I hate, that is such a good thing to just hang on. <laughs> I, I don't mean to completely switch, but when we're thinking about um, ways to engage people in worship, so if we're thinking of lament and prayer and whatever whatever it might be in worship, I think to, to think very intentionally about participation. I think one of the reasons that we get um, the words music and worship confused sometimes, singing and worship confused sometimes. So, you know, we hear that, um, we're going to worship and then hear a sermon and then say that, well, it's just the singing we're talking about. I think the reason for that is because that's the time that most people are used to participating in worship. Mm -hmm. They don't feel actively participate, uh, that they're actively participating at other points of worship. 
And so that's why I feel like it's worship. So how do we help that? Just what Matt was saying, we've, we failed to disciple well in participation. So how do we, um, how do we help people participate well? Um, so if it's online, how do we keep it from just being something that people are watching? How do we engage people? How do we, um, how do we continue to use liturgical calls and responses to say, look, this is a prayer. We're not saying this just because it's some routine or ritual. It's a prayer. It's focusing us. But also when you say this in your home, know that people in all kinds of other homes are saying this as well. So we are connected through, through our prayer, through, through this um, act of participation, um, whatever it might be. But to think through very intentionally, if music's not going to be there, um, how, are we, how are we fostering participation well from the community, through prayer, through liturgy, through whatever it might be, through conversation, um, all these things. So I think that's, a, that's something we have to keep in front of us and to think how are, we, how are we fostering participation well and not participation simply for the sake of connection and, and participation, you know, but for the sake of engaging with God and, and truly worshiping and saying this is it's, it's drawing us into a deeper mode of worship, not just a good experience that we can have. Um, right. I saw a quote this week from the screw tape letters where, you know, in that book where it's a, a demon challenging how to really mess up the humans. And, you know, one of the passages is all about noise, like just keep them in constant noise and don't let them have their, their song or their silence. And so, you know, those are two sides, but uh, worship needs both song and silence. And I think about, you know, some of us may have an opportunity to sit in silence while someone else sings or plays. Um, we may have an opportunity to, to meditate on words that in the past we've been singing with our lips, but not really considering in our hearts. Meditating on those hymns and songs may be another, another way. And then I, I love how much people have picked up the responsibility of worship in their own homes. You know, just this sense that uh, no one, we're not paying someone to, to lead us in this, that we can worship um, at home. So I think that that's been a really important element. And um, yeah, is there anything, maybe just a, a last word, and then um, we don't have to go all the way around, but if there's something burning on your heart that you thought, I didn't get to say this, um, we're going to move towards closing in prayer. But does anybody have, have one last thing that they thought we should have included? I just will say, Oh, go, go for it, John. You go, you go. Just real quick, Jessica, I think your point is so, I've never, I don't know if we've ever thought about the fact that silence and, and even notes, they, they're wedded, right? Notes occur in the, in the space, in silence, right? And I think what if we cast our congregation's vision to say, you know, for all that Mark and I just said about silence, there's, there, we cry out, Kyrie eleison, Lord have mercy. We also cry out, come Lord Jesus, that there's this story that brackets us. And just because you have silence now doesn't mean you're not going to have singing later. Even within a song, we have rest points that actually bring order into that. And so I think there's a ability to cast our congregation beyond that. Sorry, Jonathan, go for it. No, mine's completely different, but thank you. That, that was really good. Thank you. Um, I was just thinking about um, in the homes, you know, uh, sometimes, um, I think one of the reasons there's the question, why do people not sing in church? There's all kinds of articles. Why do people not sing in church? And I think there's a lot of reasons to it. And I think a huge one is we just don't sing in the home much anymore. Um, we, uh, we, we've relegated it to the professionals to do for us through recordings, and things, which there's nothing wrong with that. It's just, we've relegated it to that. Um, we're not um, utilizing opportunities to sing in the home together. 
and um, to, uh, you know, to say like, well, I don't sound like, you know, as amazing as Mark Swayze. So I'm not going to sing. It's like, no, we're going to, you know, we're going to sing with Mark. Let's put him on. And my, my daughters, they love, you know, we'll play the, put a plug in here for Woodlands music. Uh, they, they love that CD and we play it. And they also say, Hey daddy, daddy, it's your friend. It's your friend. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? But, um, but they'll hear those songs and they can just hear those first few notes and they know the song and say, Oh, we're going to sing awakening now, you know? Um, and so we'll sing together. We listen to things as we eat dinner together. A lot of times you know, after we pray and then we start dinner, we'll listen to certain songs before we go to bed. We sing together. Um, We've been watching a lot of the Gettys um, hymn sings that they're doing in their home on YouTube. And uh, there's a couple of songs that they've done uh, repeatedly. One in particular called His Mercy is More that has hand motions to it. And my daughter, they want to see just that clip over and over and over again to do the hand motions and to sing with them. And my wife and I sing with them. And, you know, so when we do it at church, they get, you know, when we played that at church, they get really excited and they know these songs and they've heard them and they, they can participate. And so I think there's really something about singing in the home and saying, you know, maybe right now too, when we're gathered together in worship, whatever that looks like, whatever that means, there's a time for silence, but maybe we've been too silent in the home and it's a time for singing there. So I'm just something kind of wrestling with. (laughs) Well, there's a phrase that I keep thinking of um, and I've used a lot, just like God wastes nothing. So maybe, maybe that's something that we could even encourage our families in their home to be thinking about if we believe that, that God wastes nothing, that in any situation, whatever we're dealing with, that there is a way that God is revealing himself, that there is something to learn that there is. So then the question is, well, okay, if God wastes nothing, if maybe this is our time to be silent or to be, you know, for Selah. What is it that God can teach us in that? If this is the time to come back and sing a song of praise because we can, you know, what, what is it in that? So maybe that's just a, an invitation to our families is to say, if God wastes nothing, what, what is it? Where is it that you see God right now? What is it that you learn? Maybe it's an appreciation. Maybe it's, you know, listening and hearing God in the lack of noise. Um, just whatever. But anyway, I, I just think that that's something that we could engage um, everyone in having that conversation at home. I'll be really brief and then Jessica, you can, you can close it. Uh, yeah, I, I, this is something for someone who's just led worship for really, for a couple of decades now in the church. I'm kind of excited about this season. Um, I mean, scientifically, we know that singing is, and we haven't really said it yet, but scientifically, we know singing emits aerosols that carry COVID-19. There's a Washington State in March had a, had a two-hour choir rehearsal, and 52 people got sick, and two people died. That when the, that singing emits these aerosols that carry COVID-19. So this isn't something we're just, you know, basing not singing on theology. We're also scientifically, they're going, be very careful. Do not sing. A lot of scientists are saying, don't sing until we have a vaccine. Um, if, if you sing so practical, they're saying, uh, as scientists, if you're going to sing, sing at a lower volume. If you're going to sing, let people sing over you. If you're going to sing, introduce instrumental music. So those are practical things that scientists that study this are thinking about and saying, so as I think there'll be more research as churches start to gather. And so we'll just be mindful of that. I would just say, I, you know, Matthew 18, where two or more gathered, I'm there. And where we can say is not when you gather in the church, I'm there. It's when you're in your home 
and there's and you and your kids or you and your spouse or you and your friends gather, no matter how small it is, the Lord's there. And to allow worship and songs to be the overflow of the heart has always been my heart's cry. And so I'm just hoping this season we as the church can spend more time in music, pausing and pondering, taking those those Selah moments. They could be really rich for us as a church. Right. Well, th- this has been great. So rich. Um, I-, I hope this spurs some conversations among us more and among those who are able to join with us um, online. And I just, um, I, it's given me a lot to ponder as we look at this season, not as one where we're lacking something, but as one where we're, we're interpreting this context as for such a time as this. What will God use in this time to stir up our hearts? So I'm, I'm thankful for this. It's helped me a lot. And I want to see, Jonathan, would you, would you close us in prayer before we sign off? Sure. Yeah, let's pray. Almighty God, we thank you that you have sung a song over us, um, that um, it is through your breath and through your word that creation has come into being and through uh, your continued song that uh, things are sustained and um, that, that there's uh, just a, a beautiful melody in who you are and, and, uh, and, and in your voice um, when we hear it. Um, we pray that in, uh, this conversation can stir within us um, that have been part of this, that have been watching this and others as we continue to talk about these things. Um, stir within us um, the, you know, a, a sense of what music means, what it is, what, it, what a gift it is for us, this beautiful gift that you have given us for worship and uh, just as an art form uh, for expression. Uh, we thank you for that. Um, we pray that we will know how to use it rightly and in a time where maybe we're being called to step back from music, um, it, it, it might be hard for us, um, but there's a lot of good searching that can be done in this time. Um, some silence that's needed, lament that's needed, um, uh, evaluation, um, examine that we can do because uh, we're, we're, we're abstaining from this practice for a time. Uh, we pray that we will make the most of it and um, that we will we will understand not only the gift that you have given us, um, but when it's absent, um, that it will be used as a gift even then for us to, uh, to, to start examining ourselves and, and our practices and to examine um, your desires um, in, in an even greater way. Um, thank you for everybody that's been part of this conversation and their leadership and their heart and um, their knowledge, their wisdom, what has been shared here as we continue to face um, difficulties with COVID-19, not knowing how long this will last. Lord, we pray that you will sustain your church, that it will be you that we look to, that um, it, it will be your, sa- your face that we seek. And as Mark has even reminded us that, uh, that, that, that the music will, will be something that is expressed in our hearts um, as we seek to praise you, as we seek to glorify you, um, as we um, seek to truly worship you and not just something that comes from our lips. Um, so, uh, so may these things stir within us, um, may, uh, may these thoughts continue to be discussed and be with your church and be with those leaders, um, all, all across this world as they seek to be faithful, as they seek to minister well. And we look forward to the days that we can gather together again, and we can enter into the, the fullness of expression that we desire to do. Um, but, um, but, but in this time, um, may our desires lead us um, to, um, to you in, in new and different ways. 
We thank you um, for your love. We thank you for your care. We thank you for your Holy Spirit that is among us and that empowers us. And we pray all of these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. 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 Thanks, y'all. It's been great to talk with you. Yeah. Thanks.